Hello, welcome to True Hoop with me, Gerard Hector, and Coach David Thorpe. How are you, sir? A little stressed. Got to prepare for yet another hurricane, but other than that, I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, those of you that don't know or, you know, you forget, David lives in Florida, which is like Hurricane Central. Um, and, you know, they're, 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 they're preparing for one that may hit them. But at this point, David, you're like a, a veteran of these situations, right? You're like, if it hits us, that's one thing. But if it doesn't hit us, you know, but you're, you're running through your checklist of what you have to do. Mom, mother-in-law, how, right? Everybody's just, yeah. you're just checking the list. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, we, we hope, we hope not to have to do it every year, but we have, uh, we have a pool. So the pool fills up with water. I, I'll drain it some today, but when you get too much rain, uh, between the rain and whatever's in the pool, uh, pool initially catches some rain, which is good, but our, we're, we have, uh, sliders everywhere because the house kind of is an L around the pool. So mm-hmm. we have to fill up these huge bladders of water put it up against the, the the bottom of the sliding glass doors and tape them up. And it's a fucking process. And we're lucky <laughs> enough over 36 years together and 33 years of marriage, we've collected some stuff and some of that's outdoor stuff, uh, <laughs> you know, landscape furniture and so forth. All that right. has to be put away. Yeah, the hoses yeah. and anything that could be a projectile. Uh, For sure. These hurricanes also breed tornadoes. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot going on. It sucks. And, and then you're faced with potentially with no power. Mm-hmm. We're lucky enough, Gerard. I, I'm. I was telling my my. Um, oh, you guys on the show today. Henry yeah, said he's yeah. gonna doesn't believe in God, but he's gonna pray for us or whatever. He said there's plenty of people need to be praying for prayed for before we do. We if I have to, I'm gonna get on my car and drive to a hotel. Not probably for the hurricane itself, but I ain't gonna live in Florida with no power. We're gonna go to a hotel that has power. <laughs> right? I, don't, I can live anywhere. So um, we're we should be okay. Um, uh, this is not projected to be a Category Five where you work. we just have a brand new roof, but nothing can withstand Category Five, I don't think. So certainly not a roof. But let's hope yeah, it's yeah. not as bad. And like I told them, if it doesn't hit us, it means it hits someone else. Either way, people get screwed. I'm already paying a crazy amount of money for home insurance. You wouldn't right. believe me if I told you. And, no, no, um, I believe it. It's fucking nuts, and I can only imagine what it's like for other people. So. There's a, there's a lot of good things about Florida. There used to be a lot of good things. Now there's less things about Florida that I like. And, and this will be the, the third potential major hurricane that we're dealing with in, since 2017, after never dealing with it my entire life. Just, Which is crazy. You know, because The idea that people deny climate change, like you could <laughs> argue how important humans are to it if you want, but the data is overwhelming, overwhelming. Right. And there's two gigantic storms right now. Well, ours isn't yet gigantic is projected to be the one on the other side of the florida which won't hit on florida the, franklin the East Coast? A, it's already at category oh. four it won't mm. hit it won't hit america but the islands they're going to get screwed so yeah, yeah. um yeah this is for anyone that's lived in florida knows this is not what we all grew up with not even close well you know uh as david said we are we are uh hoping everyone stays safe down there and yeah. as you said it's not about hoping it doesn't hit us hope it dissipates over water so it hits nobody yeah. right like that so nobody gets hit with it and, that's, and there that's is ultimately what we want t- not that we'll go into any more weather than this but there is there are possibilities where you've got a lot of dry air which we do north of the storm that can fuck with the storm and and lessen it it also can actually enhance it this is the mm. uniqueness of weather so no. we're hoping for the former, not the latter. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Listen, uh, we hope everyone uh, stays safe down there uh, in Florida. And, uh, of course, we will be in touch with David. And, uh, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll know what's going on down there. Uh, FIBA World Cup started, David. Um, I will say the first team that really kind of impressed me through two games is Team Canada. They look like they're out of here trying to win the gold medal. 
Um, we know they've got pros in their team. Uh, headlined, of course, by Shea Gilders Alexander. Um, Dylan Brooks. Imagine Jamal Murray team. played. Imagine if Jamal Murray played. If he played, I'd be like, they're winning it. I, I'd be like, that. This is they're winning it. Um, Lou Dort's on that team. I mean, like, like they are. These guys are are doing some some awesome. Yeah, things. they're in, they're inside game. Dwight Powell, uh, Kelly Olynyk. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's where it falls off some compared to Team USA. For sure. But mm-hmm. that, but those guys. You know, we have Paolo off the bench. They've got some veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think it's much beating. The win for the win against France is less important. <laughs> they, they lost the game, but they blew France out after a blew bad. Blew France out. I think they had only fourteen in the first quarter, so scored eighty something in the game. Shea Shea got off the second half, but I mean they're the second most. They, Canada produces the second most NBA players in the world behind America, obviously, and it's growing. There's a whole bunch of good ones coming. Mm-hmm. So um, they're going to be there's a world there's easily a world to imagine where Team Canada beats Team USA, including possibly this year, but certainly down mm-hmm. the road if mm-hmm. all their best players play next year, right. they can absolutely beat Team USA. No, yeah, I, I I'm very impressed with uh, with Team Canada and France. Listen, they came into the tournament expecting the medal, like you know. Now, granted, I know they don't have uh, Wemby, right? But they've got Nicola Batum, they've got Evan Fournier. They've got Rudy Gobert, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so this was disappointing for them. And I think Fournier said it after they they lost two group games, so they're they're done. Um, Fournier said after the game, you know, this is extremely disappointing. And there's a way in which guys like him, like we know Patty Mills for uh, Australia, sure. when they go and play for their country, it's a different thing, and they look like different players. There's always memes that are always out on X, formerly Twitter, where. It's like, how come we can't get player X to be like this in the NBA? And it's like, because it, it's just different. Like, that's just not right. Like, what their role is on their on their native team is very different than what their role is uh, in the NBA. But uh, it doesn't mean that the right coach, and this is what David loves, the right coach in the NBA can harness that out of that player and get them to do similar things for their team uh, if, if they coach correctly. Um, but yeah, you're right. But uh, Fine, yeah, I just have my light. <laughs> Go ahead. But um, yeah, I. I it, it it was disappointing to see that from France, particularly a team who you know wants to wanted to 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 medal in this tournament. Well, like you said, they expected a medal. So first of all, I can't bring myself to call it X, but that's a whole separate thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that uh, I mean they're old in the tooth. They right? are when you're depending on those guys. They, France has plenty of good young talent, including the, the young man they just got drafted this year from mm-hmm. Wemby's team. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Wizards, yeah. So um, it remains to be seen what happens with them, but uh, yeah, it's still the tournament's interesting, and uh, I don't care much about it either way. Uh, some people do, though. The players do. The games sure. have been intensely competed. Like the, the games have been, they, they're playing hard. They care. Um, Team USA had a fight to get by New Zealand. They blew them out, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm looking that way for more than half the game. And that's something I would tell you as someone who's lucky enough to have coached some really, really talented teams um, from high school and AAU, like national champions, uh, multiple national champion teams and high level teams. Uh, It's amazing how many games my teams would play where we'd win by 30 or 20, let's say, but Mm -hmm. there was doubt about it. Like I, I, after the game, I tended to go back and kind of replay some of the moments of it. And I remember like, oh, man, that second quarter play was huge. Well, you don't think of a play in the second quarter being huge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's things that happen in the games that help break it open. And so you have to always remind players um, 
it's it's what we're trying to get done at the end doesn't mean it'll be that way at the beginning. We mm-hmm. just have mm-hmm. to play. We can't yeah. worry about the score. Let's worry about possessions and and then and Team USA ultimately did that. There's certainly a lot of talent on Team USA to to extend their leads with you know after a good you know, they can get on good streaks. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And we're, we'll, we'll continue talking about Team USA in a minute. But, you know, David, one of the things you mentioned just now is like, oh, imagine if Jamal Murray is playing for Team Canada. And we've talked all the past uh, several episodes about how much these international competitions can be springboards for a player going into their the, the, the coming NBA season. But also, because as you just mentioned, the games are super in, in, intense and competitive. There's a wear and tear factor also, right, that can impact the player coming into the, the next season. Uh, two years ago in the finals, you predict uh, rightly and predicted that, you know, Tatum's looking real run down and tired right now. And remember, he had played Olympic basketball uh, the season, the, the summer prior. And that was when it was super condensed, when the schedule was really messed up off of COVID. The season had ended a little bit later than normal, went straight to the Olympics. And like it, it was a lot. Um, and he ran out of gas uh, against the Warriors uh, in, in that final a couple years ago. And so I wonder, you know, smart move by Murray, especially coming off his injuries and right. a deep finals run this just in June. Look, these guys want to play so bad, I know, but it's like you got to you, you, you as much as we this is a business. Right. And what is the thing that ultimately matters the most, especially with Paris coming next year? Right. You got Olympics coming in 2024. So playing both of these sandwiched into what Murray hopes is another NBA championship would have been a lot. I think that's exactly right. I think that he was thinking uh, trying to make another run at world championship plus the Olympics next year. Something's got to give. That's my guess with his injury history too. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I thought that Celtics would beat the Warriors going into the series and they were up two one game four in Boston mm-hmm. and they didn't win again. Tantanum was terrible. And you can say the Warriors played great defense and all that. I want to argue with you, but I think the best defense was the Olympic experience the <laughs> summer before. So um, these guys, just let's just remember, come mm-hmm. April, May, mm-hmm. who is still playing in September hard? Mm-hmm. Because trust me, the, the the pickup basketball you play, ten percent of the competitiveness and preparation required right. to play right. in this event. There's a cost to it. And so for Team USA, for sure, you're looking at now you've got guys who are playing a lot like Paolo Bancaro, who, you know, as I joked on the phone this morning, the Magic are one year away from being one year away. So he won't be playing in April and May. Uh, but Jaron Jackson Jr. is on a team that was the second number two seed in the East and the West last year. Yeah, that matters, right? He's someone who needs to have a lot in his tank come later, later in the spring. The Knicks, Jalen Brunson, they made it to the second round of the playoffs. That's another one, right? So these are Mikael Bridges on Brooklyn. There are guys who Austin Reeves in L.A., like. There are guys who are expected to make playoff runs who are who are on in this tournament right now. And again, it may buoy them early. So it'll be incumbent upon their teams to see, okay, how can we best manage you so that we have the best version of you going forward uh, as we hope to make the playoffs. But you yeah, know, we'll, what, we'll what ends up happening, I think, is the smart teams, um, which most of them will be smart, won't push them hard when they get to camp. In training camp. Yeah. And so it's good for the other guys on the team to get more mm-hmm. run. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they'll they'll let them almost take the rest of September off, and we push we the NBA pushed back the schedule. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, when's the, when's the first game? Like twenty October twenty sixth. Mm-hmm. And what was it last year? The fifteenth. Mm-hmm. There you go. So that buys them those ten days. Hopefully mm-hmm. you'll. I mean, these guys all should take a vacation. None of them, none of them should fly to their teams. So win the gold medal, lose the gold medal. NBA players 
fly to some island somewhere not near Florida where hurricane season is <laughs> and and just take take get get off your legs for 10 days or yeah. get get off your legs for 7 days then slowly work back and the goal would be play the last 10 days practice last 10 days before our first game so by October 15 let's get back into the gym mm-hmm. and really start grinding again then they'll be fine uh, still might run the gas but at least they'll start the year good and you you mentioned the key phrase that I don't think the average fan realizes and people realize it's something I would tell swimmers all the time. Get off your legs, yeah. right? And how important legs are to functioning in almost every sport, right? Like, and those things, like when they're, when the energy is gone, like, and that's also David, where we see the injuries, right? The lower body injuries is when they're, you're too fatigued. All that motion that happens down there is when we see, Oh man, ankles, ligaments, ACLs, this, that it's, it's the, and then soft tissue stuff. We really see that in the lower extremities. What Henry said to me once is, uh, this was years ago, but he had already started doing the kind of research he's now writing a book about. Um, it's almost like uh, being drunk when, you're, when your body's fatigued. You're just reaction slow. So for example, as someone who did play a, a million games in my life growing up, uh, when I'm walking sometimes, if I'm talking to someone, I'm on my phone for a second, and there's just a little fissure in the curb or something, mm-hmm. I'll, if I step on it, so far anyway, it could change tomorrow. I'm able to catch my ankle really quickly mm-hmm. and and avoid really hurting it. Whereas I have friends, not that I'm not that people are getting typically getting hurt when they're walking, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. People people do this kind of stuff all the time. Uh, I'm able to catch it. But if I was fatigued or mm-hmm. the next 10 years of my life when I'm in my mid to late 60s, mm-hmm. I won't be able to catch it inside potentially. It could really turn my ankle. It's the same thing with these players when they're in a sense they're playing drunk. They're the famous story of um uh, Pat Beverly running into Westbrook's knee mm-hmm. uh, when they when basically Houston helped OKC out of the playoffs mm-hmm. because Russ tore his ACL. That was not a torn ACL because of a funny step or a right. guy hitting your knee out of the side like you see in football. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was um, knee to knee, and it tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. And uh, who knows what would happen had this happened the first week of the season, not, not in the playoffs. But mm-hmm. Henry, even back then, told me there's certainly uh, a probability of lesser injury early mm-hmm. that is supposed to late. And it's late. So yeah. yeah, all this factors in. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, on the Team USA front, David, I'm not going to say all is not well, but, you know, Brandon Ingram had some had some quotes. Um, he's currently the odd man out at the moment. And he was uh, in an article, I think, on The Athletic this weekend. He said, this is totally different than what I'm used to. Um, the team is winning right now, so I can't be selfish thinking about myself. But it's a little frustrating right now for me. And I'm just trying to figure out ways I can be effective. And this is interesting because I know this is this is like, if you listen to Trudeau, this is part of what David talks about all the time. Scoring is but one way to impact the basketball game. Now, it's the way that everyone uh, everyone's eyes and everybody gravitates towards because, oh my God, it's such an important thing. But a million other things go on in a game. And if your shot's not falling, if this isn't working, whatever, how else are you contributing to us winning possessions? And for someone like Ingram, who his entire life, He's been the guy who's that's his job on every team he's been on. Well, it's a little different when you're when you're on this team, right? And there are other options going on, and you're either your shots not falling or you're not playing within the way that Steve Kerr wants to play. Early during the the um, warm up phase, David, remember we talked about. I said you said, and I said they're like one pass too short, right? They're not making that one extra, and I thought Bi was a big reason for that. He would get it, and that ball was going up when he could have swung it to find somebody open. So now he finds himself. And an unfamiliar position for him, but you know, un- discomfort is good for players in their growth. 
if he, you know, takes it the right way. Yeah, I would have. Number one, I would have liked him to just keep it to himself and his coaches and teammates. I don't, I don't know why I had to go public. Uh, number two, uh, who cares, Brandon? Like, you have no excuses. You, you, you don't have to score well and shoot well every game. Help your team win games. Mm-hmm. Just embrace that. And he's a, I've heard he's just the best guy. So I appreciate his honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, but the message Steve Kerr has, has to be giving him is, have you seen Draymond Green play for us? Like, just be our Draymond Green. And if it turns out you score some points in a game, no one will be Great. more thrilled than we are. But um, just help us win basketball games. Mm-hmm. And, and that'll, that experience will help you with the Pelicans next year. Because the reality is he hasn't won a lot of games as a pro Correct. Player. I don't blame him. I'm just saying they haven't. And so you, this is part of the winning experience. If they get into the postseason uh, and the best defender is always marking him, uh, that's good for Zion. Mm-hmm. It's good for the Pelicans. So mm-hmm. um, just uh, find ways to contribute. And, um, but you also can talk to your team about, hey, this guy's an elite scorer. You know, let's get better at getting the ball. I'm sure that conversation is mm-hmm. happening too. Well, it's interesting because when, when this tournament started, that's what I was kind of saying. I was like, I guess BS probably the lead guy on that team. But Anthony Edwards has clearly emerged as like, no, I'm actually that guy on this team. And I think, look, all these guys have a certain ego, right? And I think probably in BI's mind, he didn't, not that he doesn't think Anthony Edwards is good, but he's like, I've already been an all-star in this league. I'm right. So he's already thinking like, it's me. It's not this guy, but sports is not, there's no script to it, right? If some dude's just better in it during a period or it just works better in a system, that's who it is. But on an episode, a couple, uh, maybe last week, the early one on, or, or Thursday, you talked about, we talked about the, why elite athletes struggle to shoot and it's because of what they've done their whole life. So I go back to, again, with someone like B.I., if you've been always so uber talented, is there a gap in his development along the way where he wasn't taught about how you also help win possessions beyond, well, I know you're very elite at this, beyond scoring the basketball. I mean, that's the nature of the game. Basketball is jazz. It isn't just a, a trumpet solo. Um, he, uh, he, this, is, this is the natural Darwinian process of pro sports is best player in high school team, most talented player at Duke. That's why I went number three, mm-hmm. All-American, all of that. And, and uh, as a McDonald's All-American. Uh, maybe the best player in his team, although I think Zion's better when he's healthy, but he hasn't been. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a, a select team. You're not the best player on this team necessarily. And the way the team is constructed with uh, Brunson being the lead guard and Anthony Edwards being a guard, and those guys are not pass-first guys. Tyrese is. <laughs> so maybe maybe Steve could work on that some too and try to play Tyrese and Brandon Tyrese more together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I'm sure they've talked a lot long before they started playing these games. They know. but um. It's a mindset, like anything else. It's a mm-hmm. mindset. Uh, the non-shooter who's learning how to be a shooter and his stroke is good has to have the, still have the mindset of what are we doing when we're missing? How are we handling misses? The mm-hmm. mindset of a player like this who always evaluates himself as a scorer has to uh, reorient to mm-hmm. uh, how am I doing in helping us win games? What are my metrics on that? Uh, every time I'm on the court, what's happening when we're together? So... I, again, I've heard he's just the best guy, so I don't think he's selfish. Yeah. It's he's just got to. This is all part of the learning experience. It'll make them better mm-hmm. for the Pelicans and for whoever team mm-hmm. he plays on down the road by learning it yeah. now. Yeah, no, it, it it's such a. And again, this is like those little things that I think the average fan probably misses and they don't see. It's like this is yeah. How can that's the superstar, right? How do they real? Okay, 
How do I help us win? When I'm on the floor, right, to use EPM, are we winning games when I'm on the floor? That is the most important thing. And so I think he'll hopefully figure figure that well, out. Well, just just uh, let's see. I thought I'd look at the Celtics when they had Ray Allen and KG and Paul. Um, they really, those guys really kind of, they, they, I don't know that they're best friends even now. I have no idea, really. You never really know. But um, on the court, they understood their role. And they won one championship, lost in the finals of another in seven games in, to L.A. Um, but they just all understood we have different places here. And, and I may have told you one time when the Gators won back-to-back titles in, in basketball, mm-hmm. I asked Corey Brewer, uh, Joaquim, one time I had him in my gym in the summertime. They were all in the NBA. And I said, like, what happened? How did that happen? And he said, halftime of every game for two years, we, the three of us met and said, okay, Corey, you're the man. Al, you're the man. Joaquin, you're the man, based on matchups and style. Mm-hmm. And we, and then they went and kind of told the team, like, this is this is who we're playing through for this game. Now, I don't know how much true players can say stuff. It doesn't always <laughs> mean it's exactly right. But the selflessness was there in those conversations, clearly. And so Team USA has to do something very similar in that uh, it, it, the star is going to be different every game based on matchups mm-hmm. and strategy. Mm-hmm. And let's just all be okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, continuing on the Team USA uh, train, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., to no surprise to many who watch him closely, fouled out of that New Zealand game, uh, something that he does often in the NBA, although not as much this past season as he has earlier in his career. Um, but he was asked about <clears throat> his aggressiveness on defense and the way that he plays, and he says, you got to be able to switch and guard guards. It helps because you don't always you don't always want to be in drop. Um you just have to sit down and get in a stance. You don't want to. You don't want to because you're tired. But that is the job. And then Steve Kerr was asked about uh, Tripp's defensive abilities and you know him falling out of the game. And and Steve said he has the ability to block everything, but sometimes he needs to dial it back a bit. He's foul prone in the NBA, so there's always one or two plays where you want him to let it go because he's too important to us. So we share those clips and just remind them. Sometimes the best place is to let let that guy go and don't pick up the foul. And then Jaron was asked about Steve's comments um, and about you know what what do the, his Grizzlies coaches say? And he said, they don't care. Trust me. They don't, they're not worried about it at all. The Grizzlies want their back. Um, go get it, man. That's what they say. It comes with it. If I'm going to be less aggressive, I'm going to have less blocks. I'm going to bring less rim protection. I'm going to have less fouls with all that. Pick one or the other. Which one do you want? Do you want me to be great or not? And I can tell that the way he an- ended that, do you want me to be great or not? Because it's something clearly that has been told to him and he's well aware of it, right? Is that I need you on the floor and you can't. It's like, well, and it's that push and pull, right, David, of his aggressiveness is partly what makes him so good. But how do we control that aggression so that you are on the floor for 36 minutes as opposed to 28? Yeah, he's trying to argue that um, you're better off with me at 28 at full speed than right. lesser than that at 36. He's wrong. And you disagree, right? He's wrong. <laughs> yeah, the metrics are metrics bear that out. Uh, he's fully capable of doing both. And remember, there's also the specter of him looming, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, do you remember? You all remember this. If you remember this, draw. we're best friends for life. <laughs> remember, you, I know you remember David Letterman's top 10, right? Mm-hmm, of course. Okay. So uh, he, he did one. This was a long time ago, Gerard. It was top 10 reasons why New Yorkers speed. I think it was New Yorkers speed. I don't – it's, it's familiar. I don't remember it, but, but it's, it's no, familiar. But this was – the, one of them was the funniest ever. <laughs> it was uh, Rodan is looming in your rearview mirror. <laughs> that for someone who's an old monster fan, that was really funny to me. Well, that's Sharon Jackson. 
Yes. He's always looming. Doesn't mean you always have to go for it. Right. This, this, the, the, the fact that you're the threat there. Threat of. Mm-hmm. Dwight Howard is, we, we had the Dwight effect. Mm-hmm. He didn't lead the league in block shots. I'm not sure he ever did, but he was a dominating. Def- I mean, players just were afraid to go to the paint. Mm-hmm. If they got there, they dribbled out fast as they could. They stopped, they passed out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaron has that same ability. So this is part of growing up. And, he's, and he is, like you said, he's doing better at it. Mm-hmm. But the, he can still get better. And there's only 5,000 FIBA. Yep. So it's 40 minutes. I was at 48, but still. It's uh, 6,000 in the NBA, 5 in the college. and I mean, FIBA. And uh, the team is, they have no one else like him. Yeah. Walker Kessler can't do what Jaron can do. No, great, no. great rim protector, but mm-hmm. different player. Not ready. And I, and I think too, David, uh, on the NBA side, to me, the foul trouble, I think, stunts him and stunted his growth offensively as well, because now he's not getting into a rhythm. Because oh, I got four now in the in the in the third, so I got to be out until late in the fourth. So I haven't touched the ball in twelve minutes. It's like. All of this stuff is just not quite there. And, you know, you and I think he has the potential to be an all-NBA level player and an yep. all-defensive guy, right? So, but if you're not, you need reps, as you always say, right? Reps inform you. Well, you ain't getting the reps offensively because I got to take you out of the game because you're in foul trouble. And to me, it's not the ones about the aggressive ones that I that I mind. The ones that I mind are the ones when I'm like, this is silly because you know you can't get to it. Why are you jumping? There's no, what are you doing? Like, it's just, you're asking for a foul in those moments. Those are the ones that drive me nuts. That's what Kerr said. Yeah, you got to <laughs> let some go. Uh, uh, I, I would say to him, if I knew him, um, just do what Tim Duncan did. <laughs> One of the best defenders of all Worked time. Worked out pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And that's who I thought he could be coming out of college. Yes. Tim Duncan 2.0. Yeah. I literally wrote Tim Duncan 2.0 because I think he could shoot the three, which he can. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Duncan seemed to be just fine defensively and didn't try to block every shot. Yeah. Correct. You, I promise you, he'll be 32-year-old Jaron Jackson Jr. And he'll think, what the fuck was I thinking? Because <laughs> he'll realize, like, I don't have to do that. I can be just as effective and not go after everything. Yeah. Well, you you, you call it walling up and talling up, right? Yeah. Like, you don't need to jump necessarily. You're He's seven foot with, like, a ridiculous wingspan. Get them big old arms up there. Get tall. Like, it's going to deter some people. Yeah, it's also, in addition to the fouling part of it, when you go for a fake, now the player's got an angle to score on you that he may not have had before. So, um, I mean, yeah, there is something to be said about lack of aggression, but we're not asking him to be unaggressive. We're just asking him to mitigate his shot block attempts, and I think he could do both. I think he'd be a a rim protector, everybody as good as he is now, and not foul as much. I I think that's in his game. He just doesn't get it yet. Um, and one last thing, and I, and I don't want to step on it, but uh, David's going to be working on a piece where we, where he talks about the difference between rim protection and paint protection, because they're not the same thing. Um, and you can be uh, a very good shot blocker, but be an elite paint defender, right? So that, I mean, think about it. Train you can be a bad defender. shot blocker and be an elite <laughs> paint defender. Yeah, you can, be, you can be neither. You can be both. You can be one and not the other. The idea is you got to be both. Draymond is an elite paint defender, right? I mean, Draymond's an elite defender, not, period. Right? But he can't. But he can't guard. But like, guess what? For Golden State, don't seem to matter, right? No. It, it worked out. Worked out pretty well for them. <laughs> worked out good for Denver last year too. Yes, correct, correct. So there are ways in which you. It, it's it's a little subtle nuances of the game, right? And it's being smart, understanding angles, right, and understanding again how to use that big body of yours to deter people from doing what they want to do. The last elite shot blocker. 
to win a title, AD, although I'm not sure people will call him elite as a shot blocker. He might have been in the playoffs. I don't remember exactly anymore. That I think he wasn't in the playoffs. There. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not a long list. Pain protection is just fine, Jaron. Mm-hmm. Pain, mm-hmm. pain protection wins us plenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll be back after a brief commercial break. All right, David. We switched it up a little bit. We're going to do Ask Coach Thorpe now. Uh, we got to, and you guys, this is awesome. We're loving these questions you're getting and you're really, really engaged in the process. So if you want to be, uh, have your question answered by David Thorpe and tap in his big basketball brain, send us an email to truehoop, that's T-R-U-E-H-O-O-P at truehoop.com. And we will ask them, David, and he will let you know what he thinks about your question. All right, this David, this one's from Patrick. A few weeks ago, you were talking about Jokic and compared him to an iceberg, that there's a lot going on under the surface most don't see. Were you just talking about vision and intelligence, or can you elaborate on that? Yeah, in particular, I'm speaking of his ceiling game. So S-E-A-L-I-N-G, ceiling. So um, when he's inside, he is, look, you, you'll see, he's, not, he's very efficient with his movement or lack of movement. When he's got a player in a position to deny him a pass from where the ball is, uh, Jokic knows if I stay in touch with him, meaning contact, with his hips, shoulders, arms even, as the ball moves to a better angle, I can then hit him and and really put him on my back or on my side and create a passing angle for me to get a layup that I wouldn't otherwise get. In other words, the goal is not always to catch the ball where that defender is directly behind you. Now I have to score over him or around him. If I can seal a player, there's no one between me and the rim potential unless it's a helper. So he's brilliant at that. As, As most big guys that have some size, you know, skinny guys struggle with it a little bit because they just can't hold the guys off, but Jokic can. Um, and uh, and then also in pick and roll, uh, there is, you know, he he's reading what's going on. Uh, we, we have a thing we call race rolling, where you screen mm. and race and you roll to the rim. He traipses. Is that the right word? Traipses? Yeah, he yeah, yeah. tiptoes through the tulips, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because he's letting the play play out in front of him and he's letting defenders move their eyes to the ball. And then he can kind of jump into the little open space where by the time the defender sees it's too late, he either he can seal him off or he's just in a position where he can catch and score before the defender reacts. So that's really what I meant in terms of the iceberg. In addition to players like him, Tyrese Halliburton, great passers, they aren't always looking at the ball. They aren't often looking at the ball, the millisecond before they get the ball, they're taking pictures of the court. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're taking, the, and so they, so they know the millisecond they get the ball, sometimes so-and-so is going to be open. It's like a speed chess player, right? Yep. I, I know where everyone was before I caught it. Now I've got it. They, the defense didn't have time to react to take away what I know is coming. Boom, I'm going to make that pass. So that's the kind of stuff behind beforehand. He's you know, the iceberg, it's happening below the surface that the average person doesn't see, but he, he does. Um, we the, the analogy we like to use is for those of you that watched the excellent Netflix series, Queen's Gambit with Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah. There's that scene where she's in bed and she's looking up at the ceiling and it's all the chess moves playing out and speed yeah. just like in that. That's what these elite LeBron, when all these uh, Jokic, that they're seeing it, right? That's what's now it's happening at super fast speed inside their brain, right? Like literally, like David said, a millisecond. They already know where it is, and they know, okay, this person's going to be open here. And it's a—that's uh, just that's repetition. That's a knowledge of the game. That's incredible vision. Yeah. That's you know, 
It's, it's yeah, brilliant. It's really brilliant stuff. Right. Super fast processing. Uh, in searching for Bobby Fischer, his his uh, professional uh, chess uh, professor, instructor, played by Ben Kingsley. I don't remember if it was in the book or not because I read the book too. Um, he, te- he teaches him, don't move till you see it. Well, that can't happen in the NBA. Right. But you'll see players who aren't necessarily ball stoppers intentionally mm-hmm. just don't see it. So they're not moving until they see it. That's why they hold it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the defense has already reacted and fixed it real fast. So mm-hmm. one simple example of that would be uh, if I'm Jokic and I'm on the right block, okay? So as we, as we, as I'm, if you're the top of the key, you're Jamal mm-hmm. Murray and you're mm-hmm. facing the rim, I'm Jokic, I'm on the right block, and the player who's guarding me is denying me. The ball's on the wing, though. You're at the top. The ball's on the wing, okay, on the right wing. He's denying me from the baseline side. So I can't really get a pass thrown to me because his left hand's in the way. He's denying from the baseline side. So his right hand's kind of locking me up behind my back. His left hand is in the passing lane from the wing. Uh, you at the top of the key, if they throw it to you and then you try to throw it to me, that's a long pass. The better play is to have someone run to the elbow, same side as Jokic, high, low action, because that's a quick touch pass that's traveling 12 feet, even less than that, 10 feet, 9 feet, 8 feet. So you'll see, including the Nuggets, when someone's denying Jokic in that particular situation, uh, someone is supposed to fill the high post quickly, catch it. If his man guards him, MPJ is very good at doing this because he's a shooter. Now you've got the quick dump down because Jokic isn't going to seal his guy early. So all that's so it's not just Jokic reading, it's a teammate reading as well. So that's that that's a in concert. That's why basketball is jazz. Everyone's connected together. I, the ball's on the wing, they're denying Jokic from the baseline side with it with it, uh, uh, not fronting, but baseline side. I know I got I'm Aaron Gordon, I gotta fill I'm MBJ, I gotta fill that elbow, same side, close to the elbow. And then I once I catch it, I quickly dump down because Jokic is gonna seal his man behind him. So I've got I throw it right to the rim, really, and Jokic just mm-hmm. will lay it up. Uh, AD does this all the time yep. with LeBron, did it with Rondo in New Orleans. Those are just good reads of what's happening with what, what the defender is doing. So, yeah, that stuff's practiced a lot in high school and college. In the NBA, it should be pretty simple. It's automatic. All right. This next question comes from <clears throat> listener Ken. If the defensive three-second rule didn't exist in the NBA, how would you construct your team? Oh, I wouldn't do it a whole lot different. Yeah, I wouldn't do a whole lot different. These guys are hanging in that lane five, six seconds all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not it's not the three seconds. Well, I mean, you could argue maybe even shooting is more important and having having yeah. a big guy that shoots it, but I, I don't think that's changing anything. I think it's already important. Um, but, yeah, I, I think we should get rid of the rule because yeah. it, it's rarely enforced. It, it's, it's asking the defensive player to think of one more thing Mm-hmm. I forget the term they use. I it just went blank on me, but there's a term they use for the dance they have where they're out of the paint, in the paint, they jump out for a half second, jump <laughs> yeah, back jump in, back in. The yeah. Clock. yeah, there's a there's a name for it. Yeah. Um, I, I hate that. Just no rules. The rules yeah. are don't foul someone. And if they score one, two, or three, they go one, two, or three. That's it. Yeah. The, the rule is don't foul. <laughs> that's yeah. rule number one. Don't foul. Rule sometimes, number one, puts, don't foul. sometimes he puts an expletive in front of foul. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking foul. Right? <laughs> you know me uh, well. <laughs> the last question we have is from Mikhail, and it's a bit winding. So I'm going to start here. David, Mikhail has a premise, and his premise is he was listening back to our episode where he said, does defense win, champ- win championships? And, you know, when I looked back at the, the teams that have won the last, I think it was 
12 or 15 titles. Surprise, surprise, what I found out was almost every time except twice, the team that won was very good on offense and very good on defense. Usually top five in both, almost certainly top 10 in both. Every once in a while, you get a weird outlier in the regular season, right? The Nuggets, I believe, were 18th in defense this past year, but played better in the postseason. And then when the Warriors won uh, the year before, they might have been like 12th or 13th on offense. But for the most part, everyone who wins inside the top 10 in both, just because that's how it works. All right. Um, and then he was wondering about, you know, do we understand defense and, and is it overrated in the sense that you looked at the Rudy Gobert trade and when Rudy was in Utah with Donovan, you know, that was a team that seemed like they walked into 50 wins every year. But you put Rudy on a team with Cat and Ann Edwards and these guys in Minnesota, and it's like they barely got to 40 wins. So he's like, well, what happened to the defense being such an integral part? Um, and so he, he wants to know, he thinks that defense might be overrated because it's incorrectly assumed that offense and defense are equally important since they're half the game. Um, and he's like, he doesn't think the reasoning is sound. And the reason why he doesn't think it's sound is because of chess, which is why in chess, as everybody knows, white moves first. And then it's bl black is you're reacting, right? Whoever has the first move, you are reacting to whatever move number one was. And he, he bought out the stats, which basically said that the winning percentages in chess are if you are white, you win 37.5%. And this is at the highest levels of the game. Black wins 27.5% and to draw 35% of the time. And so his point was, if you're white, you want to maximize the amount of times you win. And if you're black, you want to maximize the amount of times you draw. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. But, you know, it's chess, not exactly, not exactly basketball. Um, and then he talked about the Warriors' offense and years, particularly with KD. And, yes, their defense was very good, he points out. But he goes, how much of it is their offense was also supernova? They go up on you by 25 points. And now as a team trying to catch them, you get rushed into things that you don't want to do. So, yes, they're paying fine defense, but you're maybe acting out of character because you're like, shit, we're down 25 and we got to catch these guys. Again, all interesting and reasonable. So, he wants to know, why is it hard to come up with accurate defensive stats compared to offensive stats? That is his first question. Okay, so I'm just going to answer the questions as you ask because you were just mm -hmm. talking about something larger scale. Mm -hmm. uh, the answer is because in basketball, uh, we know who did the scoring. And we know who did the assists. So those are raw box, box, box numbers, box score mm -hmm. numbers. We, in def on defense, we don't have that because we don't know the assignment. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I, when I talk to NBA players, they have, if I'm helping them in a game, for example, to play better, they have to tell me what the scouting report is. What is your game plan? I don't, it doesn't matter what I think. What are you supposed to do? So then I can hold you accountable, give you a scorecard in a sense. Are you supposed to force this guy into the screen? Are you supposed to not let him use the screen? Uh, are you letting him dribble left hand, dribble right hand? You let him shoot the three off the dribble, mm -hmm. off the catch. Like, what are all your rules? Are you guys doubling this? Because you're picking your old I, coverage. Are you in drop? I, are you switching? Yeah, mm -hmm. Right. I don't. If I don't know, I don't know if you did the right thing. I, I can't do it based on result. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're. It's like white versus black. You're. I'm reacting. My job, black, uh, in is defense. My job is to make you take the, the shot you didn't really want to take. Don't let them do what they most want to do collectively. And then individually, of course, as well with ISOs and whatever. Um, doesn't mean they're not going to score. Right. Chess is very different than basketball right. that way. We're scoring all the time. Um, I have to execute my strategy. And so we, we don't have a box score for that. 
Mm-hmm. Because if I forced you to go over, if I if I went over a screen and made you at the 15 foot pull up and you made it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we prevent you from getting the three and the dunk, I right. you know I did my job. That's a 37 percent right. shot for you. I did my job. Right. But it doesn't mean right. uh, I it worked. Right, because you made a shot. Right. Yeah. So you have to look at the the overall. Like we can do things like screen navigation, how well he handles screens, how much they often get caught up on screens. We can look at um, uh, how how early our high end contested mm-hmm. high hand, all of that. But that's not in the box score. Correct. So that's why it's it's much harder because there's no box score for it. It's a black box. Yeah. And and only the teams know mm-hmm. Be, uh, mm-hmm. how well a player did because they know what the calls were. So even when we use stats like defensive EPN or defensive block, uh, box plus minus, which are advanced, it's still based on the team concept, right? For X amount of whatever's, how many paint shots did we give up as a group? But maybe that was, I don't know, right? Like maybe it's your point. Maybe that was a strategy and not threes. But regardless, because basketball is constantly scoring, someone, it, points are going to happen. The question is, are they the points that you wanted them to take or are they the points that they wanted to take, right? And that's... So- Right. Here's here's my question, and, I, and I'll ask our listeners to chime in, those that, that are data people, data mm-hmm. scientists and so forth. Um, Henry can chime in when he, when he gets a chance with the data people he talks to. I've always contended that players that play with, in bad schemes and or with bad defensive players, which also means typically bad coaching, mm-hmm. they are not getting a fair shake in this metrics. Because ultimately, unless you really get advanced level metrics, which you're looking at uh, the, sh- the probability of a shot going in in your defense, which is not how defensive EPM, I don't think it's looking at that. I think it's only looking at success and failure. How did your team do when you were on the court, right? That's a big part of the adjusted mm-hmm. plus minus. If all four guys are playing great defense, and I am too, uh, then they're not scoring as much. And so I'm elevated as the mm-hmm. river rises, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm playing average defense, but I'm playing with four elite defenders and I'm, and I'm executing my strategy, mm-hmm. but I'm, and I'm short-armed and kind of slow doing my mm-hmm. best, I'm still going to look better than right. the better defensive players surrounded by bad players in a bad system. That's what I think. I know, I know that scientists are trying to solve that. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make everything equal. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, end of the day, I don't, other than looking at expected shot quality, mm-hmm. Um, which is separate from the result. It's very hard to do. And even that, I'm depending on teammates. How well are they talking? Right. Right? If, if I'm playing with a bad teammate and I get screened because I don't know a screen was coming because I'm guarding the other team's best player and I'm locked in on that and all of a sudden I get hit because no one said something to me, that never can show up in a box score other than in the shot quality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, to me, it's harder to evaluate. Yeah. Well, this leads us right into uh, the second part of Mikel's question. Should we assume that defense and offense are equally valuable? Yes, I think so. I also think they're synergistic. I think there's a lot to be said when you're having six. What I teach our guys is by really buying in defensively, you're allowing yourself to feel better about your offense, even when you shouldn't. The big teaching point that I have is when you're a shooter scorer and it's not working out, it's going to affect your psyche. It's Mm -hmm. going to affect your confidence. And that's going to trickle over into other things. When you're contributing to wins, great screen setting, great rebounding, great defense, whatever, you just have a better vibe about you. And I do think shooting is a lot about that vibe. What I work on all the time with my players is creating your own vibe. I am not the kind of shooting coach that helps you create the vibe. I'm doing just the opposite. 
I can't guard these guys. So I try to make it on game. I, if we're trying to make 10 shots, let's say on shot 10 after nine makes, I'm going to throw them a bad pass or I'm going to normally I'm throwing it to them. I'm throwing it to them. They shoot, shoot, shoot. On number 10, I'm going to tell them, oh, you're not open. Move again. I'm going to break up the rhythm. I may talk to them after eight in a row just for a moment, break their rhythm up. I'm trying to get them to not have to be dependent on perfect timing and rhythm because the game is too it's random not, yeah. and teams are trying to prevent you from doing that. So um, I think that having success gives you a vibe. If Having success on defense gives you a vibe on offense and vice versa. Uh, yeah. It doesn't have to do that, but I think it can. So yeah. I think one of the interesting things to look at is what bad offensive teams have won a championship or even made it. I don't think we should just look at championships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Look at successful teams. Right. Sacramento was a two seed. Am I right? They were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two seed. No, yeah. three, seed, three, three seed. Three seed. Three seed. Yeah, Memphis yeah. was two. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and I, they played a tough Golden State team, and I get that. But uh, their offense was elite. Lights out. Yeah. <laughs> On offense. That's, and yet they couldn't get out of round one, although, again, they played well. Um, I think each ties into the other, and yes. you can win either way. Elite defense, good offense. Elite offense, good defense. But to be bad at one side – in yeah. this league, where there's just yes. so much talent, it's not easy. It's hard you're to not think you're ever going to win it all. I don't think so. You're not going to win that way. I and think I think so. the other part of it, too, was that unlike football, right, where the offensive and defensive players are different sets of people and switch, basketball flows, right? Your yeah. defense flows into your offense and sometimes the other way around as well, right? So you're if you're you know grinding really and gra- getting steals and a block shot and a rebound and you're allowing guys to run out, it's like that. It's, uh, coaches often call timeouts for 10 0, 12 0 run. It's like, shit, we got to stop these guys. They're, they're turning it on us right, really bad right now. So there's a, there's a synergistic, synergistic way in which that works. And so, you know, it's what David says basketball is jazz. All right. Last question from Mikel. What are some good ways, stats and eye tests, to evaluate defense? Well, the stat part is easy. Uh, first of all, you can look at steals and blocks. Those are chaos creators. That's a valuable thing to me. You can look at fouls. That's a bad thing. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, don't want to foul. Uh, uh, you can look at the, the, all the advanced metrics are very obvious, mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. as well as like things like um, effective field goal percentage against at the rim. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a big guy that, and, and teams are scoring 70-plus percent on him, he's not an effective defender at the rim. And so you can break all those kind of actions down. Uh, Synergy has all that. A second mm-hmm. section has better for me eye test is ranginess length quickness uh i i remember watching omri caspi who's six foot ten and no he couldn't guard anybody it, it was good and my assistant brian panone i think he would i don't remember anymore but i think he might have noticed before me that omri moves his uh, uh, opens his hips up too easily on drives pretty much allowing guys to get by him and then catching up and we felt like He's in a, he, I used to tell Omri, if you grew up in America, in Florida, and you were only six foot one, you'd have been a cornerback. Cornerback, because your hips are so fluid. You're six foot 10, and you move like a guard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you don't have to open your hips for anyone. You can slide your feet and cut people off. And we really trained on that. And he made a huge jump. And I think the next year at small forward, it was like Durant, LeBron, and Kawhi, the only ones better than him uh, in isolation, one on one. So, um, so I'm looking at fluidity of hips um, and also motor mm-hmm. effort. Mm-hmm. Like if you're getting caught up on screens, that's a bad sign. Yeah. Like yeah. You've, got to, you've got to be unscreenable. The best defenders are unscreenable. They find a way to navigate over, under, whatever. 
Um, toughness is a, these are things you notice too. Uh, the, the, uh, the ability to get hit and recover back and be fine. Those are all things I'm looking at, but you know, I think athleticism, obviously everyone's looking at Marcus Saul was not a rim protector. He's a paint protector was defensive player of the year. Not to say he didn't block any shots. He blocked some, but he wasn't a lead at it. I don't remember him being a lead at it. Uh, but he was always in the way. I'm a big believer in what I call mucking things up. Mm-hmm. Chuck Hayes, muck things up, get in the way. Des- that doesn't bane. Um, PJ Tucker, muck things up. Oh, my God. Blow shit up. They want to mm-hmm. run X, Y, and Z, and they can't. They got to run Hold ABC because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not letting you do what you want to do. There's a mindset to that. that you and I are watching um, – we're watching the Swamp Kings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you may not have seen this yet, but it was in year two. Tebow's a freshman in year two of this, of the episode two. Um, and, the, and they're trying to score a touchdown. I think it was against Tennessee. I forget. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. he was like – He's like, put me in. Mm-hmm, he was mm-hmm. a freshman. He's like, I'm yep, going to get yep. in that end zone. Mm-hmm. I, I love defensive players who don't just say, let me guard that guy. But they they eat it up. They relish That it. guy, he may score on me, but it's going to take a, an act of God because mm-hmm. I am going to be all over him. That mm-hmm. mindset to me is a big deal. The guys that uh, – that's why I loved Scotty Barnes. He would, lo- he would guard guys 94 feet from the basket, and he would clap. He would get down and clap. Like, he's that 6'7 guard doing it against little guys. That's a good sign. I don't see it as much in the NBA, but that's a whole separate thing. Alex Caruso likes to defend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He likes to defend. We should have drafted it's, him much higher in the NBA. It, it, it's a mindset because you are the willingness to want to take on the best perimeter and wing scorers in the world. You've got to be a little crazy in the head to want to do that. Because like a quarterback going, in football, you're going to get beat. Yes, you're going to get embarrassed. Like it's all, yeah. all it's going to happen. But you're like, I don't give a shit. Like yep. I'm, I'm just doing my thing, and the, and the best defenders in the league. That's how they are. They're like, I don't care because I will make you. It'll make it very difficult on you. Of course, I think of PJ Tucker on Durant two years ago in that Milwaukee Brooklyn series. I mean, Tucker was inside of his shorts the entire time, fouling him at every at every turn. I mean, Durant was incredible that series. He was like, I don't care. I'm, I I don't care. Every time I'm coming, I'm coming at you again. I think he actually barked the key that time. Yep, and I'm gonna do it again and again and again and again. And that's what these great defenders do. You look at someone like Draymond. Um, you talk about high hand contest. Uh, yeah. Remember that one play we did on on um, tactics? Tactics. Draymond went wide hands to the corner, right? Yeah. Draymond's got a what seven foot wingspan that that blew up a pass that was going to his guy. Turnover. Whoop! We're going the other way. Like these are these are ways. And again, if you're not if the eyes on training, you're not looking for that. You just think, oh, that was just some accident. No, no. Wide hands was on purpose. He did that purposely to lead to a turnover. Yeah, so those are things we're looking at. We're watching uh, the, the players that look the part and don't get it done. They're probably being coached poorly, bad strategy, and 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 they're not inspired to play great defense. Yeah, everyone can be solid on defense. Everyone, because mm-hmm. I make good decisions and the play the play with toughness. Yeah. Um, most of these athletes could be better than average if they apply themselves. Well, when you look at how athletic some of them are, you're like, come on, man. I know you can be better than this. It can be a problem sometimes when you're so fast. Uh, mm. A young man that I got to know pretty well, George Niang, isn't so quick. But he turned himself into a hell, turned himself into a hell of a defender because you're not going to – you're going to use your quickness and he's not going to get beaten by fakes because mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. not getting that far out of the way when you fake him. Mm-hmm. He's, not, he's not quick enough to react to it. He's tough as hell. He's smart as hell. He thinks quickly. He processes fast. And he, he makes you – Take tougher shots. And the one thing I used to tell George is uh, be an angry bear on the ball. Don't, they're, they're going to target you, but, no, you know, b- bears stop going after the honey 
when they keep getting stung by the bees, <laughs> by the, the swarm of bees, you got you. They'll just they'll they'll do quattro some other place to eat. Yeah, right. And so I I remember vividly George a couple times telling me like, Coach, after the first quarter they didn't target me anymore. I'm like, yeah, because you were fucking angry bear. You were swiping <laughs> at the ball, challenging the dribble. Like I tell everybody that, like, just right. be a pain in the ass to go against. Yeah. There's some other sucker on your team that isn't hard to go against. Don't just go <laughs> against him. Don't just go against that dude. Yeah, I tell rookies that all the time. If they, if you let them keep picking on you, they'll keep picking on you. Right. Now, this is what makes Durant the best. That he had no choice. He was getting PJ no matter what. No matter what. So he's not just gonna say, "Well, I guess I'll be a passer this game." No, he's gonna try to score. He's gotta throw him the ball. <laughs> that's a that's uh, a relentlessness of spirit. Yes, like Dwayne Wade and the, all the top mm-hmm. scorers, they just have this uh, indefatigable attitude of, "I'm coming, I'm coming." Uh, Joe Frazier, Gilbert Arenas, <laughs> always on the hunt. Yeah, watch Joe yeah. Frazier. He was always yeah. cutting the ring down, getting inside you all mm-hmm. the time. That's yeah. That's something we look for. I do anyway when I'm evaluating defensive potential. A um, couple quick things here. Um, you know, we here at Shoot Hoop laud Coach Spolstra, and of course he's on the staff at Team USA, FIBA World Cup. I believe he's the lead assistant with uh, Steve Kerr as the head coach, and Ty Lue, and uh, and then Mark Few, and a bunch of the players have said some really interesting things about Spo. And I know this definitely got uh, got David's attention. This is Mikael Bridges. When they asked, you know, what makes him such a unique coach? Intensity, hard work, defensive and offensive mind, but everything is just so sharp. It's dope just to see it. Paolo Bancaro. I would just say energy every day, consistent energy, intensity as a coach. He's always live, ready, locked in. You can see why he's such an elite coach and why he's been why he has been for a long time. Uh trip. It's mainly how attentive he is, how intense he is, requiring all of us to give the, that effort. And the next gear and the next layer, it's great. Austin Reeves. Huge imprint. The coaching staff has done an amazing job being open to everybody. And I know when David heard all that, he was like, guys, you know what all this is saying? <laughs> all these guys are saying how amazing Spo is as a coach. And it's true, he is. It's also reflective of what they are not getting themselves as head coaches on their own teams. Right. Potentially, to be fair, to be fair, uh, listening to your quotes right there, um, it also could, it, it, there is an argument that they feel the same with their coaches. I don't think that most of them do. I don't think Austin Reeves thinks Jarvin Ham is their exposure. <laughs> he may one day be. Right. He ain't better. now. <laughs> I, don't think the, I don't think those guys loved Spolstra in year one when, in talking to them back then. I don't right. remember no, 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 loving no. him. Uh, he's, he's earned his trust. And, and Darwin's you know, young as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's what coaching is supposed to be. Everything they describe is what coaches are supposed to do. And what they aren't saying is um, he's not afraid of us. He's not afraid to coach us. And, and I think that's a big problem in the NBA is we're afraid to coach guys. Not we, but they're afraid to coach guys. Well, and I understand it. You get fired let, fast when you uh, piss off your star player. When you are a $3 million a year or a $5 million a year guy, it's very hard to tell a $40 million a year guy what to do. That's, yeah. you know, on, on the org chart. Williams will, Monty Williams won't have that problem this year. Well, no. <laughs> and Pop won't yet. That's sort of, that really could change as players, coaches start yes. making more money. They, and, and, um, they can well, coach what, what, what it's really about, though, David, too, is about the organization and the, the, the stability and, sure. and intelligence and know-how from top to bottom. Because remember, that early Spolstra, right? Everyone goes back to that scene where that's early. I think they were, I don't know, they were maybe a game or two by 500. Spolstra calls a timeout. Braun kind of bumps them coming into the huddle. Everybody's all making a big deal about it. And we do know Braun went to Pat and was like, we got to get somebody else in here. And Pat's like, mm-mm, this is the guy. 
You guys I think he told him ahead of time. Don't even bother coming and saying, right. this you, is our you, guy. Yeah. This is our guy. So you either figure right. this thing out with him or you're going to go somewhere else because this yeah. is – and once you have that kind of backing and trust from your GM and your ownership, Everything. well, Everything. it doesn't really matter what the star player says because then if you're not fitting, we're going to get rid of you, right? You're the yeah. one who's going to leave. So – and it yeah. worked. They won championships in Miami. 100% right. The management and ownership can really help a coach a great deal. I, the one head job I was offered – I never tried to get any of it. Uh, the, the when the owner offered it to me and said he'd give me the same deal the current coach got, which was I want to say a three or six million dollar deal. Um, I told him I would never work for an owner that was so ready to fire a coach he just hired. <laughs> like that, the money I was doing just fine in my own business. That that just there's no security yeah. there. No I'm picking my family to move, and find out we're fired in two weeks, whatever, right. two months. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think management and ownership have a lot to say with the success of their coach. As in terms of uh, willingness to really coach his guys, mm-hmm. and that's Jim in Miami. Should have it with Pop. You know, it's when you have that stability, ownership, GM, head coach. It, you know, look, you're not going to win all the time, obviously, but it it, it just makes when you, how we run things is how we run things, right? And it just it makes for a for a, an easier sort of of, of proposition. Yeah, uh, just a real quick to piggyback yeah. on that. Uh, uh, there's such a thing they they coaches will call talk about a locker room lawyer. And mm-hmm. that's the guy who's always looking to divide and argue mm-hmm. and negotiate. Mm-hmm. Can't do that in a, in a locker room like Miami's. Correct. They're all rowing the same way. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be you're gonna be by yourself. Yeah, I can be a lonely place. By the way, yeah. <laughs> you don't you don't want to be there in that locker room. Uh, Hornets re-sign PJ Washington. Don't know if it matters. The Hornets probably will be bad again this year. No, but, but I think it's good. But he's, you gotta, but he's, you he's gotta, a good player. Yeah, he's a good player. He's got upside still. He's mm-hmm. in his twenties, mid mm-hmm. not even mid twenties yet. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, you got to retain your good players, and you can always move later on. Uh, they've got Bridges back, I think, this mm-hmm. year. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, a, a healthy uh, Lamelo back. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I'm a big, mm-hmm. I'm a big Brandon Miller fan in terms of potential. Yeah. I got like Mark Williams a lot. They've so changed the, the talents there. They should, yeah, they should Let's be see. decent. Let's see. I, I, I am skeptical, but <laughs> As, yeah. but I am remain hopeful. Yeah. And uh, last thing, uh, September 20th, I believe, Giannis Antetokounmpo is eligible to sign a Supermax extension. But he made some waves because in a New York Times article with Tanya Ganguly, he said, "Um, you know, I'm not going to be in any rush to sign an extension. Um, I got to make sure that we're all committed to winning. Everyone's sacrificing. We're all doing the same thing. And if we're not, then, you know, we got to we got to figure something else out. And everybody, of course, made a big deal. Oh, my God. Giannis said he's not going to. It's like all he did was what every superstar does, which is. Put the team on notice that he's with. Hey, as you know, I am committed to winning a championship based on how I play, how I put my effort, all that. If you all want to rebuild or do something else, I am not down with that. So let's be clear on on what our if we're if we want the same thing championships, cool. I'm staying in Milwaukee. If not, I'm going to go somewhere else where winning a championship is is their number one priority. Can't be mad at that. That's what you do when you're a superstar. Yeah, completely agree. Yep, that's. Uh... That's him hedging his bet, which is smart, smart yeah. business. Smart business. All right, folks. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. Team USA right now up on Greece 61, oh, 71, 50, uh, late in the third quarter. So, yeah, looking pretty good. Uh, we'll see where, where things stand. We'll, we'll win the group. So, we'll, we'll see where we're at on Thursday. Uh, we'll get ready for the next round. All right, guys. Take care.